So good to see everybody here today. Everybody looks amazing. You look great. I just want you to know that. You look great. And uh, so if anybody didn't tell you that this morning, I'm telling you that, that you look great. So uh, everybody's kind of like, see, I told you I look great. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, wow, this is a great day. We love Picnic Sunday. That's always a, a, a treat. And uh, ever since uh, I was a little kid, we would have church picnics. How many remember church picnics from way back? All, all, the, all the dinosaurs lift your hand. All right. And, uh, and remember that, and I remember, and uh, I remember, you know, one of the things that I could see is we had windows in our church, unlike here, but we had windows, and uh, what was neat is I, I would always tell when I saw Brother Harry go out and uh, to light the fire on the grill, I knew the sermon was almost over, and I'd get excited, you know, then i start listening. So uh, we don't have any indicators like that today, but hopefully you'll just uh, listen the whole time and be excited the whole time, and uh, Anyways, really excited about uh, really what's happening and, and everything that the Lord's doing. We had a great turnout for our prayer meeting last Tuesday, and we just uh, really called the church to pray for our city and some of the things that are happening. And so we just had a great turnout, great time in the Lord. And uh, if you're visiting with us today, we wanted to say hi and uh, welcome. And uh, that was awkward. But uh, we want to just say uh, welcome to you and thanks for coming and, and, and worshiping with us today. Hope you enjoy yourself and uh, that the Lord blesses you today. We wanted to just finish, if I could finish today, our uh, series on worship, Sing to God. We've just been doing a, wor- uh, a, a series on worship. If you haven't been here, uh, we can go next week we can meet at your house. We'll go over all five weeks and uh, however you want to do it, whatever you want to do. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. So what we want to do is we're going to try to finish this up. And as fall is approaching and we're getting into that fall season that we love so much, uh, you know, we know that God has other things he wants to say to us. So we want to try to finish this up today and, and just share our hearts. So one of the things I thought about is, is Lord, I know there's something cooking and, and, uh, and I know you want to say something through this message. And sometimes, it, uh, you give the, sometimes you give the best points and you kind of end up where you do the good and the bad. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, what do you want, the good news first or the bad news, right? And uh, everybody's like, well, take the good news first. But you know, we're going to kind of share like that today. We're going to go through the points kind of almost in reverse, end up on a good note. Uh, and that's no pun intended. But we're just going to end up on a good note on the series on worship. Tough crowd, tough crowd, tough crowd. Okay. Anyways, amen. So welcome all those who are joining us online as well. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Pick up a story, an account of Jesus ministering to what we call the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And they got engaged in a conversation about worship. And they started talking about worship. And I want to just talk to you today about purifier. Purifier. That's the title of this last uh, message in the series, Purifier. In John chapter 4, Jesus was engaging in this conversation with this woman about worship, who knew a little bit about worship, but not entirely because Jesus said that worship was of the Jews. And so she was a Samaritan. She knew a little bit about it. She uh, actually told Jesus how much she knew about it, and Jesus further educated her on worship. And he then began to say something, a very strong principle about worship, not just to her, but to us. And it said here in verse 23, 24, sorry, in verse 23, it says, But the hour's coming, or the day's coming, uh, and he said, In fact, it's starting now, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him, or these kind of people, or this kind of worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said true worshipers. He said that word true worshipers, or pure worship, or organic worship, pure worship. 
pure worship. And he said the word true worshipers. God is looking for that. That is what God is interested in. This is what is required. And then he said in verse 24 that, that God is a spirit and those that worship him, so this is requirement, must worship him this way or in spirit and in truth. And so, you know, true worship, I thought about this, benefits both God and us. Did you know that? Why? Because God seeks worship and we seek a God to worship. So when you meet the Lord and you are born again, God has his worshiper and you've got your God. Amen to worship. Amen. Because in all of us is a vacuum. Amen to know the Lord and to worship something. We will worship something, won't we? Amen. And when we're born again, as we said, our worship is, amen, directed back to the original intent, God the Father. Amen. But I wanted to give you just four truths about pure fire. I believe that God wants us to worship Him in purity and in truth. Amen. Spirit and in truth. And that word truth obviously means to be true, to be honest. But it also means to be clear. It means to be pure. Amen. Pure worship. So Jesus said God's looking for true worshipers or Worship, people who worship God in the pure way, the right way. And he gave us that way. And so I'm going to give you four truths about pure worship. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. Amen. Leviticus chapter 10. And we've um, preached on this over the years a number of times. But uh, one of the things that pure fire, we, we could start out by saying that one of the truths about pure fire is there's always a contention with pure fire. And that is strange fire. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Nadab and Abihu, now these are the sons of Aaron. Aaron was a priest that uh, the Lord had appointed, and he was a priest over the sacrifices and, and all that. And he took they, these two men, they took either of them their censer, and they put fire in there, in the senses, and they put incense in there, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to do. And there went out a fire from the Lord and killed them, and they died before the Lord. Wow. In Leviticus chapter 9, if you read this and you'll study this and look at this up, God is the one who lit the fire. He said, I want you to build the altar, and I want you to build it this way. And a supernatural fire from God lit the altar. And then from that day on, they were responsible not only to make sacrifices the right way, but to keep the fire burning. That's a whole message in itself. Amen on keeping the fire burning in our hearts. We're responsible. How many believe that? Amen. We're responsible. Amen to do that. And so it, it, it was just an amazing thing that God did. And so the sacrifices were to be a certain way, the way that God wanted it. And then he would receive it. And that's just the way it was. And so as we see here in Leviticus chapter 10, the sons of Aaron, they were appointed by Aaron. They were priests. But the problem with these two guys is if you read them, something was going on in their life. In fact, they were sleeping with the women in the temple. And they were doing favors, if you know what I'm talking about, for sacrifice. How many know that's not good? And so they were carnal and they were sinful and they were, amen. And then what they did was even worse. They took fire from the altar of Baal and they brought it over and thought, hey, we can mix this and put it in the fire that is used for God. That's called strange fire. And the Bible says that God told them not to do that. How many know if God told you not to do something and you did it, you might be in big trouble? Amen. You might be in trouble. But no, notice this in um, later in the chapter that as you'll see that, of course, they were the sons of Aaron. So Aaron, as a father, was very, uh, you know, he's very troubled. He's very hurt by this. He was very saddened by this. But God said, I'm going to explain to you, Moses and Aaron, why I did this. And in verse 10, of chapter 10, he says that I could put a difference between the holy 
and the unholy, between the unclean and the clean, and that the people of God can teach, amen, each other my ways, my statutes. And so God did it for a reason. How many know God does things for a reason? So God did it for a reason, and He said, this is the reason. Because I want to put a difference between the holy sacrifice and the unholy sacrifice. Between that which is clean and that which is unclean. So God does things for a reason. This is why He did it. And the word strange fire there, strange, if you look it up, there's also the other terms that the Bible uses for strange is strange women. Uh, you know, and, and we won't get into that. That's a whole nother teaching. I mean, how many know, know some strange women? But we're not going to get into that. That's not what it means. Strange means foreign. It means foreign. It means unauthorized. A fire that God did not say to do. A sacrifice or a way that God said don't do it, it's unauthorized. God did not authorize that way. Some of you back in the day, you remember this teaching a little bit. I'm not going to get into it. Don't get nervous. But it means foreign and unauthorized. It means artificial. It also means mixed or mixture. And it means, so what they were doing is taking the fire from all other altars that were given to Baal and some other false gods. And they were trying to mix it and bring that fire into the church, as you will, or into the sacrifice, into the worship. And the fire that was used for entertainment, they wanted to bring it in and mix it with the fire that was meant for worship. And you know, God said, I didn't do it that way, I didn't want it that way, and there's a problem with that. And that there are three things about strange fire that we clearly see, even through this teaching and other teachings. And three things. Number one, there's a mixture, there's a compromise, and there's partial truth. Let me explain. There's mixture. Mixture is when you want to take light and darkness and put them together. It's when you want to take good and evil and put it together. It's when you want to take hot and cold and put it together. It's when you want one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It's when you want the best of both worlds. So I I want God in my life, but I still want to live in sin. How many know that's mixture? That's what he's talking about. That's what mixture is. Mixture is. And the the definition for purity literally means without mixture. That's what purity is. Purity isn't like, you know, we wear certain color clothes and our hair has to be a certain length. No, it means without mixture. That's what purity means. It means without mixture. Now, you know something, I thought about this and I said, I don't want mixture from God. Why should he get it from me? Does anybody want mixture from God? Do you want a little bit of, of truth? Do you want a little bit of goodness? Do you want a little bit of good and then some evil from God? Absolutely not. I, don't want, I want the pure love of God. I want the pure holiness of God. I want the real truth of God. Come on, something I can stand on, I want to build my life on it, so God shouldn't get it from me. And the second thing is compromise. It means compromise. Not compromise in a... Now, how many know in a marriage, a good marriage, you've got to compromise? That means a give and take. That's not what it's talking about here. It means to be ruined when something becomes compromised. When there's a breach, when something becomes ruined. You know what this reminds me of? When you try to season rotten meat. That's compromise. In other words, the meat's already spoiled. You're trying to dress it up so it'll be acceptable. That's like me saying, hey, you know, I just, just want you to know I had you for dinner, but I found a roadkill the other day. And so what I did is I shook off the magnet, uh, maggots, and then I, I scraped all the decomposition meat away, and then I put some barbecue sauce on it, and here you go. How many know you're going to leave the house like, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm, how many are going to run from that, right? You don't want that. You're not going to eat that, are you? That's what compromise is. Compromise, it's been ruined. It's been compromised, and so it's no good. That's what it means to be compromised. And so also partial truth. This is what strange fire is all about, partial truth. 
See, the attraction of a lie is the element of truth. I know what I'm talking about. And the father of lies, as the devil is called, the father of lies, this is how he operates. I like what one old-timer said. He said, the devil can make a cake of lies out of a crumb of truth. See, it's not the fallacy, it's the presence of truth that we get trapped up on. That's where the devil deceives us. That's all deception is. It's the element of truth in it that makes it uh, acceptable or attractive to us. But how many know it's also the, the, the element of truth that makes it bad? It makes everything else bad because, because if it's a lie, it's a lie. How many of you I'm talking about? It doesn't matter whether you say a little truth in there. The fact that it's a lie, it's a lie, right? And so that's what it is. It's a partial truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this about us, who we are in Christ now. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that through Jesus now our worship is acceptable? Aren't you glad that through Jesus Christ now what we sing and what we say actually count and mean something to God? I love that. Amen. So I really believe that strange fire comes from people, as we see here in the, the example of these two young men. It comes from people who admire the world, who envy the world, and envy sin, and impressed by sin, and want to go back to sin. Secretly, they've always wanted to go back. Just like we see the problem in Exodus chapter 25. This issue that we've always seen. And, and a pattern here that we saw with the church in the, in, the, in the wilderness, as the Bible says. In Exodus 25, the Bible says that as Moses went up to the mountain and God was giving him the Ten Commandments, he was gone for a long time. And so the children of Israel said, Moses delays. Like, hello, we're wasting time here. We're bored out of our minds. Aaron, can you make for us a golden calf? What we had in Egypt, can you forge for us and that we could worship this calf and call it Jehovah, that this is the God that brought us out of Egypt? How many know that's dangerous? That's not good, is it? And so what were they doing? What were they doing is they, they constantly, two things, I believe that, that what, what they wanted to do is they were bored. They were bored and they wanted something to entertain them. Okay? And then the second thing is they defaulted to their past. They went back to where they came from. They went back to Egypt. They said this was a God that's exactly the God that Egyptians worship. Because that's all they know. They had lived in Egypt so long that they got used to the fact that, oh, these gods don't really mean anything. We can make a God and call it God and it'll be okay. How many know it's not okay? It's not okay. In fact, when Moses came down from the mountain, he was like, saw them carrying on, acting ridiculous, right? And what did he do? He took the Ten Commandments, the first set, amen, of Ten Commandments, and he was the only one in Bible history that was allowed to break the Ten Commandments all at once. Amen. But it was for a good cause. Still not a good cause. Don't, get, don't read into that. All right. So, listen. So, Christians who are bored with their Christianity, with Christian life, will always default to their past and seek an entertainment instead of worship. And to get to a place where you start calling something God, but it's not. Right? And that's, that's the, now, so, so strange fire, characteristics of strange fire. Say this and get, move on. But here's some characteristics of strange fire. It keeps people carnal. It keeps one carnal. You stop growing in your faith. It envies the world. It wants to, to be like them. It wants to go back to Egypt. Instead of reaching the world, it wants to envy the world. It produces a dual lifestyle. Lukewarm, hot or cold. You want both a best world. You can't do it, so you become 
lukewarm. It produces a dual lifestyle. I have my church life and my normal life. That's a dual lifestyle. It causes people more to doubt and question than anything else, and they become open for unbelief. Think about it. I like what John Wesley said. He said, worldliness is anything that dims my appetite for God. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? So I believe that Christian music should reflect who we are in Christ, not who we were without Christ. Amen? That's what it reflects. Who we are now, what we have. The Bible says you now are lively stones. So in other words, you used to be dead stones, but now you're lively stones. Right? Amen. You used to be sinners, now you're saints, as the Bible makes it clear. So strange fire is an alternative to pure fire. It brings religious form, but compromise. Religious form, but compromise. And the Bible makes clear we should stay away from that kind of stuff. The temptation for, for us, for God's people, will always be to make room for our idols. Right? I think it was A.W. Tozer said that God, God's grace can save a man, but God's grace cannot save a man and his idols. Wow, I like that. So number two is that is the power of worship. The power of worship. Psalms 40 verse 3 says... Uh, God put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of God, a praise of God. Many will see it and fear the Lord and put their trust in God. That's powerful worship. Here's another one. When Jesus was coming down to the Mount of Olives and everybody was shouting, the religious people said, tell everybody to be quiet. What did Jesus say? If these guys don't praise me, the rocks themselves will start worshiping. That's power. I said, that's power. That's powerful worship. Amen. How many believe you're, you're better than a rock? Amen. Hallelujah. We've been accused of being dumb as a rock, but we're better than a rock. Amen. All right. Amen. See, music has tremendous power. Tremendous power. It has life and it has spiritual life. Did you know that? It has spiritual life. It really does. In fact, scientists have been experimenting with music for years on plants and animals, and it has tremendous life. It, it actually affects things. It, it absolutely uh, uh, kind of just creates an atmosphere or it. Or it just does certain things. It has tremendous power. See, true worship, I believe, has power because God is in the center of it. That's why true worship has power. God inhabits the, or lives in the praises of people. And how many know if God's in the middle of it, you're going to have all the power. You're going to have all the, come on, all the creative power, all the authoritative power. All power is in God, right? And when God's in the middle of it, you got all power. I mean, there's power in worship. Powerful things happen in worship. I mean, that's just the way it is. Powerful things happen in worship. God inhabits it. Now, I just thought about this very simple, something I thought about. It seems that almost every other culture and every other people group has got this except the people of God. People understand the power of music. In other words, let me, let me, just, let me just go to National Geographic for a moment. You see some of these tribes, and they're way back in the jungles of something-something, right? Right? And what are they doing? They're using their music to call up spirits, to invoke spirits. Oh, you're getting creepy on me, Brother Matt. No, now I'm telling you, don't be ignorant about this. And people understand this. People that are involved in the cult understand the power of music. Don't, don't, don't think twice about it. And, and other tribes, they understand that if you've got to have favor among the gods, you've got to do this, 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 and this, and we've got to play the drum like this, we've got to play the, come on, we've got to dance. How many know ritual dances are there for a reason, folks? 
I mean, they're, they're, thank, you know, it's great. They have the colorful flowers and the paint on their face. But they're doing it for a reason because there's spiritual life there. When they dance and they sing, there's something that's, that's aroused, not just in them, but in the spirit world. And it just seems like everybody else knows this except Christians. Why don't we understand this? When we begin to sing unto God, we start invoking His presence. We start calling on His name. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, something amazing is going to happen. Amen. David said, I called your name and you came quickly. Something began to manifest. It's joy, there's peace, or there's murder, there's hate. Come on. The spirits, get, I'm telling you, that's why music is powerful. Don't let anybody think, oh, it's just music. No, no. It is a spiritual force being released into not only this uh, atmosphere, but in the atmosphere that we cannot see. And see, I'm telling you, there's, musicians know this, amen, very, very well. And, and so we've got we've to understand. So this is what it's about. There's power in worship. You know, some tribes believe that if you can actually invoke a spirit enough, you can actually be completely possessed by that spirit. And yet Christians don't believe that. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. And, and so here, here's the power of music. Let me give you an example, a couple from Scripture. Uh, one of the most profound that I've ever seen in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20, excuse me, 23. We saw that Saul had disobeyed God. God had, had told him not to do something. He did it anyways. And then he just continued to sacrifice like everything was okay. And God said, I'd rather have obedience and sacrifice. And the Bible says that an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. And this spirit would trouble him. And this spirit would cause him. In fact, he went to a witch and he called up a, 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 you know, a, a, an image and, of an old prophet and, he, and all this stuff. And it just it troubled him. The Bible says that he was troubled by this evil spirit. Now here, let me give you this key. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, when he was sick and he was laying in his bed and being tormented by the spirit, he said, go find me a musician that will play and relieve me of this evil spirit. Now Saul knew something that I don't think we totally get yet. So we see this in verse 23. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was on Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed, he was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. I'm telling you, there's power in music. Um, there's power in worship. And if you, you, this is what we've got. Once the church connects and locks into this, I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. When you realize, amen, that when somebody can come in the presence of the Lord and they're troubled, oppressed, depressed, and struggling, doing this, amen, there's something. They can be delivered in the presence of the Lord by the atmosphere of worship. Amen. Our worship has the power, amen, I shouldn't say our worship, but the worship of God, when we worship it the right way, has the power, the power of God through our worship, let's put it that way, amen, will relieve people of troubling spirits. Why do you think you feel better after you hear a certain song? Or you feel worse after a certain song because there's life there. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. That's a song, by the way. That's a song, by the way. When God gets up, his enemies start running. It's when you turn the light on, all the cockroaches get going, right? That's what it's like. When God comes, amen, all his enemies are scattered. 
Second Chronicles 20, you heard this the second week of the series that Pastor Wayne talked about. Amen. When Jehoshaphat and the army of Israel were outnumbered. The Bible says put the singers out in front. That's why we put the singers on stage and we have praise and worship first in our services because of this principle. Put the singers first and I'm going to win the battle for you. Doesn't even make sense, but it worked, didn't it? Because they're spiritual power. And the Bible says as they sang in Second Chronicles 20, 22... The Bible says that the Lord sent ambushments or confusion among the enemy. And they started killing each other. Wow. Isn't that amazing? There's great power in our worship. And in Daniel chapter 3, a very important principle here, that music has the, was designed to make you do a certain thing for a certain something. In Daniel chapter 3, when they built the, the big idol, uh, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar set up the big idol, what did he say? When you hear the music, bow down. When you hear the music, you need to bow down. And I thank God that there was three human children that they heard another sound. They weren't bowing down to that sound. They were bowing down to a heavenly sound. Amen. They said, I'm not going to bow down to this worldly sound. We're going to stand. And even if we have to be thrown in the fire, we're going to stand for a godly sound, for a good sound, for a joyful sound. Amen. See, because the life of music has to do with three things. I believe it has to do with the tone, the words, and the musician or the artist or the singer. That's what it's about. See, it's tone and words together. Many people say, well, the message is positive, and, and parents are like, but the music is trashy. Oh, but it's got a positive message. No, no, it has to be both together, spirit and truth. Come on, somebody. It has to be tone, which is style, right, and sound, and words together, right? That's the way it has to be. And how many know God does not anoint a guitar? Everybody's like, whoa. No, God anoints people. He anoints people. And so when somebody skillfully gets on a guitar, the anointing of God can come on them, and they start playing like David skillfully with a joyful sound, and God moves through that. But also, style is created as man-made. So style comes through man's spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes through our heart, our spirit, right? And it affects the way we play and the way we sing. That's why it's important to have the right person, not just the right music. Right? Amen. And out of this, out of that uh, Samuel that we just read in 1 Samuel about David, actually one morning the Lord gave me, uh, and the Lord, everybody that knows me knows I'm trying to finish that book, but God gave me um, something to musicians, that there was ten qualities that made, God, uh, made David a godly musician. And so it was really powerful. You've got to study it sometime. Anyways, let's move on. So music is powerful. It has a way of worship is powerful. It has a way of affects us. It makes me feel a certain way. It makes me do something, right? I mean, come on, at the end of a movie, the sad music. They don't play like, you know, grunge music. They usually play sad music when you're, the puppy dies and, and, you know, and, and, and you know what I mean? And you're going back home and whatever. Come on, and, and, and the tears start flowing down your face. Why? And mo most of it is you don't even realize the music. It's there, right? Come on. And, and it puts you in a mood. It sets a tone. Why is it important? Because for worship, because it sets an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move among us. That's why worship is important, right? Come on, somebody. And if you want to be romantic, you don't, you know, you, you put, the, what, the lights low? The music is soft, right? Come on, somebody. Why? Because it sets a tone. It sets a, 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 an atmosphere. That's why that a lot of music in the world, uh, how my perspective was when I came out of darkness, the music was dark. 
So I was like, that's how I identified with it. It was like, I just don't like it because it makes me feel dark. It, there's something about it. It doesn't represent who I know God to be. And so I, I, I felt something when I listened to it. I felt weird. I felt heavy, right? Amen. It didn't feel good anymore. So whether it's conscious or subconscious, it affects us. Listen, that's why people that dress a certain way will listen to a certain kind of music. Or people that listen to a certain kind of music will dress a certain way. I, I just don't know why that is. I just don't know why that is. I, it's just the way it is. Why? Because it, it develops something. It, it shapes something. It, it shapes our behavior. It shapes the way we believe. It, it, it creates a system of belief for us. And especially today, many people are expressing themselves, their political views, their religious views. They're saying something in their music. So it's, it is powerful. It's very effective. Very, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us, music teaches and it influences. And that's what God wants us to do in this world. He wants, how many have ever heard that music defined a generation? Oh, 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 yeah, oh yeah, oh in the 60s it did, didn't it? Yes it did, in the 80s it certainly did. And so it defined a generation. I heard this recently, a man saying this the other day. He said that music brings us all together. We can share music. So, so it, it's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful, isn't it? It just has a way of doing that, bringing us all together. And uh, so, you know, another thing about how powerful music is, we always equate music to who we want to be or how we feel, how we want to feel. It's how we believe or, or what we want to say. It's like, I love this song because blah, 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 right? It's what we want to say. Music is powerful because music is a form of preaching. Did you know that? Music is a form of preaching. But it's amazing how the people that are entrenched in strange fire don't want to be called ministers. But they want to preach. They want to say something. They feel they have a positive message, but they don't want to be related to church in any way or spiritual leadership in any way. But they are a leader. Right? You are a leader. It's getting a little uncomfortable. Let's move on. So music is personal. That music is personal. And again, this is why people get offended so easy. If I start talking about music and the style and groups, and I don't like this, and I like that, and I, this is my favorite, and this is the only music to listen to, people get all touchy. I mean, they get all, I have people screaming in my face about this. I mean, music is huge. Why? Because music is personal. Don't we take this personal? I mean, if people start talking about your group, you, you think they're like talking about your mom. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Right? That's my music. That's my, we always say, that's my music. That's, that's my jam. That's, my, that's me. That's, that's my music, right? We take it personal. Why? Because music was to be who we were and what we are to God. It was to be, uh, express our heart to God. That's why it's personal. It's personal because it really reflects who we are. What I believe, I, I want to say something, and I usually say it through my music, right? Amen. And so... Symbolism is such a powerful part of expression. I mean, that's why people go through great lengths, pay all this money to make their CD cover or their cover look a certain way. They want to say something through that imagery. They want to say something. Why? Because that's powerful. And, and again, people in the church don't seem to know this, but people in the, in the occult especially, you, they understand that symbolism is so important to expression. Yeah, backward Backward numbers, that's huge. I mean, this, this, and this. I mean, if you do all this stuff, right? But Christians seem, ah, oh, we'll just put anything you know, out there and we'll just let anybody. No, no. How many know it's very important 
Why? Because when we lift our hands, it symbolizes surrender to God. When we shout and we sing, it symbolizes, amen, our love for God, our declaration of God, our glorification of God Almighty, amen. There's a symbol there, and it's very important to our expression, right? Amen. Okay, music 101, you got it right there. All right, so again, music is powerful, but the power of God is in the right worship. It's in the right worship. And that leads me to our other point, and that is this. And that is acceptable worship. Acceptable worship. See, godly worship becomes powerful when worship happens daily, but it has to be acceptable. So it's not just, just, just like Elisha and the prophets of Baal. How many know they were singing, they were cutting themselves, they were making a big deal. The Bible says they were playing their instruments, and it meant nothing. Amen? But when Elijah set up worship the way God said to do it, fire came down, and God responded. Because there's an acceptable Worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to just going to read this for you for the sake of time. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or because of the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. There's that word. Which is your reasonable service. Or this is the least you can do. And do not be conformed or fashioned to look like this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is what? Good and acceptable, perfect will of God. How many know there's acceptable worship? Yes, there is. In the very beginning, Cain and Abel. And God said, I didn't receive Cain. I didn't receive his worship. His sacrifice wasn't acceptable to me. I didn't accept it. Wow, that's pretty strong language. Worship is still about pleasing God, period. How many know what I'm talking about? Worship is not about, about pleasing yourself. If you came here this morning, get your praise on. You'll be disappointed because that feeling of uh, will leave as soon as you walk out the door. Okay? It's not, we're not looking for that. Worship is still about pleasing God. Well, it's about God making me feel good about myself. No, it's about pleasing Him. It's about what He wants. How he wants to be worshipped. Why? Because he's better than me. He's greater than you. You don't deserve an ounce of worship. But he does. So worship is still about pleasing God. And, and let me just say something. This is, what makes, this is what makes Christianity different than other religions. And this is what makes God different than other gods. Because you can, he can be acceptable. you can be acceptable to him. He can accept your worship. Every other religion on the planet, it makes you feel you can never be acceptable. You constantly have to be doing this, this, and this. Because you can never please or appease. Come on, somebody. This is what separates God from everybody else. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can be acceptable in God's sight. You can, your worship can be acceptable. He says, wow, that's what I like. I'm pleased with that. Every other God, the best you can do in any other religion, the best you can do is to be a better you. You can never accept any. You can never be acceptable completely. You can never do enough. You can never be enough. All you can do, the best you can do, is try to be the perfect you. How many know that's not the kingdom of God? But you know what you can do? You can worship a perfect God. You can worship, amen, a God, amen, who made you and created you. And that worship is acceptable. Because God says this, that's good enough for me. Amen. 
That worship is acceptable to God. See, here, here's what I've noticed is that a lot of people think that the God, that there's a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the New Testament. I literally heard somebody preach this, that the God of the Old Testament was ornery and grouchy and had a bad attitude, and the, good, and the, and the God of the New Testament is full of grace, compassion, and love. Can I just tell you something? The love of God has not changed from, since the beginning of time. Many people think God had a makeover in the New Testament. Jesus was the makeover of God. I don't think so. Jesus is God. Fully God. Amen? Fully man. Fully God. He was God manifested in the flesh. So Jesus was in the Old Testament and just like he was in the New Testament. And the same God, amen, that we see that sent the plagues in Egypt is the same God that died on the cross for your sins. Amen? Many people think that somehow, somehow God got saved in the New Testament. He really had to change his ways. He was a really bad attitude. He, he had to, no, no, now he's full of grace. No, he's always been full of grace. He's always been full of mercy. He's always been full of judgment, amen, and justice, amen. He's the same God. And that same God still requires the same worship. Amen? Same type of worship. The right worship. The pure worship. The purifier. See, his love for us is just as strong as it was in the beginning. It hasn't changed. It hasn't, it hasn't like, you know, oh, he had a bad attitude. He didn't really love me. No, no. He loved you while you were in sin just as much as he loves you here today as one of his own. It's hard for us to imagine that because, but you know what? But our sin separates him. Now, let me just say this. As we sang it today, God's love may be reckless, but his personality is not. He may be reckless in his love, but he's not reckless in his personality. What do I mean by that? It's just God's not confused about who he is. God's not confused about what he wrote. God's not confused. Come on, somebody. He knows. He knows. And so there's acceptable worship. He knows and he loves it. And so I, I just really feel that what God says, what he thinks, what he wants, the way he likes it is still critical when it comes to worship. It's still critical factors in worship. What God says. How many know that's important when it comes to worship? What God thinks, that's important. What God has already told us to do, that's important. And that's critical component in worship. Amen. And we talked about, you know, Elisha in what I call the battle of the bands. With the, you know, the prophets of Baal, you know, whatever you, I call battle of the bands. And so they did their worship, they did their thing, and their God didn't answer. Elijah just kind of just like, okay, God, boom. And he did it, right? So it's battle of the bands. And so we see this. But you know what statement he made? Elijah, Elisha made this statement. If God is God, let's serve God. If Baal is God, let's serve Baal. And so we're going to find out today, he said, who God is. And how did they find out? Through worship. And he found out through this that God still likes acceptable worship. He st it still has to be done right. God wants everybody to come to him. But he doesn't want everyone to stay the same. How many believe that? I believe that with, my, with all my heart. See, the difference, there's a difference between coming to God and living with God. Amen? Yes, there is. Amen. And, and God loves everyone, but only those who are born again are going to heaven. And I think we need to come from this place a little bit stronger than we have been in America. God loves everyone. We can't, we can't, you can't get away from that. But you have to deal with that. You've got to face that, right? Some of you have to face, but listen, not everybody is going to heaven. And so as the church, we need to be more concerned about who's going to heaven rather than who's going to church. 
Because we're all about worry. Oh, you got to go to church. You got to go to church. No, let's be concerned about those who are going to heaven. Because there's a lot of people in church that may not be going. So we've got to be concerned about that. Jesus said everyone is called to heaven, but not everyone qualifies for heaven. Unless you go through Jesus Christ. Is that right? The wedding garment. Jesus gave an example. Go to the highways and byways, compelled them to come in. They came to the wedding feast. The guy comes in, the master comes in, and he says, the guy doesn't have a wedding garment in. He said, cast this guy out of here. He doesn't belong here. So we understand that principle about God. We see that about the Lord. He loves everyone. Got to get that. He loves everyone with an everlasting love, a strong love. Come on. I mean, you can come to God just the way you are. Has no issue with that. He has no problem with that. But he loves you so much, he's not going to leave you the way you are. In order for you to live with him for eternity in heaven, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. You've got to repent of your sins. And you've got to be what? Washed clean and made whole and pure by the precious blood of Jesus. So now your worship is pure through the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so that's how, amen, it's so important. It's just important to understand that, isn't it? See, and, and the Bible asks this question in, in, in Psalms, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who's, who's gonna, who, who can approach God? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Right? Right? And I just want to tell you two false concepts to overcome in worship. There's two false concepts. Number one, you'll never be good enough for God. You've got to overcome that in worship. You've got to overcome that in worship. Well, I didn't do this this week. It doesn't matter. You start praising God. Give Him the praise that He deserves. Amen. Start magnifying Him. Start give, Come on, somebody. We, didn't, we don't wait for everybody to be perfect. Amen. We come the way we are to worship a God who the way He is. Amen. So that's, that's a false concept that, that I, you know, I'll never be good enough. You know, no, God will accept your praise. He will love you. He'll accept you. Come on, somebody. He accepts your worship. So here's a second false concept to overcome in worship. Whatever you want to do is okay with God. I mean, no, that's, that's false. Two people. This is a good church. Two people. All right. Whatever you want to do is okay. That's not, that's not good. Did you know that if, if anybody knows this, and I'm not going to get too deep entrenched in this, but the greatest, most important scripture in the Satanic Bible reads like this. Do what thou wilt. Why? Because everybody that doesn't worship God understands that the greatest achievement is love of self. That's what you're supposed to do. Worship yourself. But how many know the greatest achievement for us as believers is to worship God? We're to worship God. Amen. Now let me just say this. Sincerity and passion do not replace truth. You can be very sincere about something, very passionate about something, but not have truth. Let me explain. A man can be passionate about another woman that's not his wife, but that doesn't make adultery okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can be passionate about your talent, your abilities, your music, and still not have truth in your worship. So many people are like, oh, I'm passionate about my worship. I'm passionate. It's my life. It's my thing. But you, you, can, be, you can be singing for the, the world. You can be singing for the devil and not, you can be missing it. Come on, somebody. Anybody? Come on. Just because you're passionate about something, it does not replace truth. Many people think, well, I'm sincere about something, so it makes it right. No, it doesn't. So it has to be done acceptable and done the right way. Amos chapter 5, verse 23, this is what God told the people of Israel. He said, put away your instruments and your music. I don't want to hear it anymore because you are missed the whole point of worship and you're living wrong. Put away your worship. I don't want to hear it. i got to deal with your heart. Your heart's not right. You may be, be, have the best musicians in the church. You could have the best music, but if your heart's not right, God said, I don't want to hear it. 
There's something else that I'm hearing besides your music. It's your heart. It needs to be right. It needs to be acceptable. Wow. I mean, think about it. If we have to cleanse ourselves before prayer, communion, we've got to cleanse ourselves before worship. There's a requirement there. That we can't just come into God any old way and say, okay, God, I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to expect you to do to bless me and to be a part of it. And somehow you're just going to make me who I want to be. No, no, that's a work. Now, that works in other religions. That doesn't work with God. Amen? And so I wanted to throw that out there, that sincerity and passion do not replace truth. So you can be passionate in your music, in your worship, in your talent, but it does not mean that it's based in truth. Has to be. Jesus said that, I mean, from the very beginning we talked about, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Must worship me in spirit and in truth. Must worship me in spirit and truth. So God accepts the things that he's already spoken about. He accepts the things that are already established. The things that he's already established in his word. That's what God accepts. How many know that's easy? That's easy now. To know all we have to do is read the word. All we have to do is learn of God. And we'll learn what's acceptable to God. See, people don't like to hear this because they think, I can live my own way, I can do my own thing, and God should not interfere with that. He just is in my life just to make me a better person. No, He's in your life, amen, to make you a new person, not a better person. A new person, a person that reflects Him, that looks like Him, that is about Him, that lives in Him, that is entrenched in Him. Amen? Come on. Amen? It's completely, amen, in the Lord. So, and the last thing is real worship. I'm seeking true worshipers, Jesus said. Real worship, which is pure fire. It's pure fire. It's the fire that God, from the very beginning, the fire came on the altar, lit that altar, and it was from the Lord. Nobody did it. They didn't have, you know, the, the, you know nobody had a Bic lighter. Nobody came in and just rubbed two sticks together and made it. God lit it supernaturally. It was pure. It was holy. It was from the Lord. It burned like no other fire that man has ever seen before. And let me tell you something. It cooked meat like no other man before. Amen. And I like cooked meat. Amen. Because it was pure fire. It was real fire. It's what God said I wanted. This is what God was from the Lord, right? Listen to the scripture in Psalms 29, verse 1 and 2. Give unto the Lord, O mighty people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory that's due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The way that God wanted it. The way that re reflected the Lord. So it's the right praise, the right heart, the right way. That's what purifier is. It's the right praise. It's the right heart. It's the right way. And yes, we can express ourselves in different ways. You don't sound like me. I don't sound like you. We're going to have different styles. I mean, it's going to, come on, when I play a guitar, if I ever did, it would sound completely different than when you did. Now, God did. I mean, God appreciates that. That's why the Bible says, make a joyful noise, all ye earth. Amen. He doesn't expect us, amen, all, it, we knows it sounds different, right? Come on, somebody. He knows, I'm not, I'm not peddling, amen, a certain style this morning. I'm just saying, I'm talking about worship. And worship is expressed through your spirit, how God puts that tone in your voice, amen. How God puts that melody in your heart, as we see in Colossians, amen. So this is what it is, this is the right praise. And it's a clear sound, and it's a clean sound. That's what purifier is. It's clear and it's clean, amen, I love that. Now right praise, the right praise, or purifier in the book of Psalms, as I see it, there's a few things that when David started singing the right way and started giving God the acceptable worship and out of his heart, this is what happened. God drew near to him. God came near. 
God came into him. All of a sudden, he said, God, I feel you far away. How many of you have ever read those Psalms where David said, where are you, God? Right? And then if you continue to read that Psalm, you'll find out somewhere at the end, he'll say, oh, there you were. Jacob, you've been here all the time. Amen. God said, I've been here all the time. Jacob said, I didn't realize it. You were here and I didn't, under, I didn't realize it. So God draws near. That's what happens when right praise. God draws near. God becomes good. God shows his goodness. God fights for you. God takes up your cause. That's what happens when right praise goes on. God begins to fight for your cause, as we see in, in, in 2 Chronicles. Amen. Some of you are struggling with bills. Some of you are struggling with health. As you begin to worship God, God begins to take up your cause. Why? He's a great intercessor. And, and when you praise and worship, that's part of intercession. Did you know that? And so it's part of like a prayer. And how many know he's a great intercessor? And when you begin to worship, amen, that intercessor hears something beautiful. And he gets, stands up and he says, I'm getting close to that person. That's the sound I like to hear. Amen. That's the kind of sound that draws me close. I'm going to get over there. How many have ever been, you've been going somewhere and say, oh, I can recognize that song. Oh, I like that. Oh, yeah, I like that song. How many, come on. God says that. Oh, I heard something. That, that is my favorite song. How many know your worship is his favorite song? Your worship is his favorite song. And so this is what happens. He draws near, he fights for you, takes up your cause. He helps you, he provides for you, as we see in the book of Psalms. He protects you. Amen. He's your shield, he's your buckler, he's your high tower, Psalms 18. Amen. Through my God I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall, as he said. Some of you are going to say hallelujah, weren't you? Amen. All right, see what I'm saying. All right. And, and, and this is what happens when I begin to praise. The door to who God is and everything he has opens up. It opens up. It becomes open to me when I worship God. When I praise God the way he likes to be praised, everything, everything opens up that's available to me that, that is of the Lord. I love that. And so let me just talk to you in closing about the impact of purifier. The impact of purifier is that it transforms you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It transforms you. What's acceptable to God begins to change you. When you begin to do things that are acceptable, loving your wife, loving your husband, raising your kids, talking about the Lord. Come on, living right. I mean, come on, somebody. Amen. That's what it's about. And, and when you begin to do that, you begin to be changed, and there, something happens. It heals, it delivers, it enlightens. You begin to see God, know God. You begin to say, okay, God, now I understand what's going on in my life. Because as I begin to work, I'm telling you right now, this happened to me over and over again. I've been going through a situation or whatever, opened God's Word, and I'll never forget in the book of Psalms, opened up to it, and I began to read, and it was exactly what I was going through, exactly what I was going through. And all of a sudden, I lift my hand, I'll never forget being in my living room alone, in my couch, and all of a sudden, I have a revelation, God, you're going to get me through this. God, it's going to be okay, because your Word, amen, declares it's going to be okay, amen. It delivers and enlightens you. You know, this is what purifier does, the impact of purifier. God comes down and God consumes you. God will inflame you. God will consume you. God will consume your life. I, I want that so much in my life. How many say, God, I want you to consume me? Amen. When you begin to worship, amen, things begin to happen. Listen, God won't give you half of his spirit. He gives you all of himself. All of himself. It's pure. It's not tainted. God doesn't mix it with something else. He gives you all of him. Can you say amen? He gives you all of him. Paul said this, that we are filled with all of the fullness of God. Everything that God is becomes everything that I am. Wow, I love that. And every, everything. Purifier is this. It's thanksgiving. 
It's joy. It's clapping. It's bowing down. It's being quiet. It's resting in Him. It's dancing. That's what Purifier is all about. It's not something we do just as a church. It's not like, well, your church, I used to witness to people based on what we did in our church. you got to come see our church. We dance. We're crazy. It was like a show or something. What I needed to say is, come to our church. We worship God normally. We dance. We shout. We clap. We have Thanksgiving. We bow down. We, 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 we're quiet. We're silent. Come on. And that's what God likes. That's the way it is to worship doesn't belong to a denomination, doesn't belong to a people group. It belongs to every believer who's in Christ Jesus. You come into the place of purifier. You begin to realize what worship is all about. Can you say amen? Purifier is a real encounter with the Holy Spirit. Not just an emotional fix. It is a real encounter with the Holy Spirit. God begins to give you strength to take up your cross with willingness and joy. It begins to happen when you have purifier. You know, when you're not really worshiping God like you, when God wants you to or like you really should and you know you should, it makes it so difficult to surrender to God, doesn't it? really makes it hard. Your pride gets in the way. Selfishness gets in the way. You know what happens in purifier comes? A genuine love for others happens on the inside of you. You stop just saying, yeah, I like you. You start saying, I love you with the love of God. Amen? A pursuit of continual purity and morality and character, attitude and relationship. This pursuit of purity and, 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 and just uh, no, you know, no compromise, no mixture starts to develop in your life. Listen, I, I know people said, well, your church believes this and your church preaches that and, and that church over there. No, no, it has nothing to do with what our church believes and preaches. It has everything to do with what the Word declares. It has everything to do with what God wants. It has everything to do with what God has for our lives. Can, can you say amen? Amen? has everything to do with the standard of God. And so when you receive, what happens is pure fire, you receive from the Lord personally. He, he begins to draw you in close. You begin to grow in your faith. You begin to, really, it confirms the freedom that you have in Jesus. When you begin to worship God, it confirms the freedom. It strengthens the freedom that you have in God. How many believe that, as the Bible says, it's for freedom that we've been made free? It begins to confirm that and strengthen that freedom that you have in God. It begins to glorify God, as we talked about in the last several weeks. It begins to convict me in areas that aren't pleasing to God. I don't need somebody to preach to me. The Lord tells me, man, that, that doesn't, I don't like that. That really hurt me. That really, I don't like that. Come on, somebody. I, I, it's, not a, it's not a preacher that tells me, God said, no. It's the Holy Spirit works on the inside of me. Saying, man, you shouldn't talk to people like that. Don't address your wife like that. Come on, somebody. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. You need to be honest. You need to be forthcoming. You need to be do this. You need, to, you need to get up and do this. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit helps us, doesn't he? He helps us. He helps us. Makes me want to be with others who love the Lord. That's pure fire. Pure fire makes me want to be with those who really want to love God and serve God. What makes me want to be with people who are stronger than me in the faith, that they can encourage me and strengthen me. Can you say amen? How many can just lift your hand to heaven and say, God, I want pure fire in my life? I want the purifier. I want your worship. I want to, amen, Lord, I thank you that I've already qualified as a worshiper. I want to have that true worship. I want my life to reflect, amen, what you're doing on the inside. Can we stand on our feet today? Hallelujah. Going back to part of what our text that we talked in the beginning, Leviticus chapter 9. You know, I shared with you that God lit the fire on the altar supernaturally. And you know something, I kind of see this repeated in history. In Acts chapter 2, God lit the fire on men's hearts. How many believe it's still burning? 
Can somebody say amen? How many believe the Holy Ghost is still, amen, the fire of the Holy Ghost is still burning? How many believe that God still is in worship, an acceptable worship? How many, how many believe that powerful, worship is powerful, amen, and there's power in my worship? I believe that. Come on, I believe that. I believe that, that when I begin to praise God, I begin to worship, I don't have to be in church, I don't have to have music on. When I just get alone with God, I just say, God, I worship you for who you are and what you've done because you're good and you're wonderful and you're amazing and you're God. Something begins to happen. Something begins to happen in my heart. I've just begun to experience, amen, life. I begin to experience breakthrough. I begin to experience faith because the power of worship is alive in me. Amen. How many can say, with their hand lifted to heaven, say, I want, I want the true worship. I want, I want that to be in me today. You know, some of you may have been here today and you say that, Lord, I, I've been holding back from you. I've been holding back. I really have. I, I just feel that, Lord, today I, I don't know if I'm really just completely honest with you. And if I was completely honest, I'd have to say I, I'm looking to other things. I'm it's like Egypt. God, I, I'm constantly looking back. I'm constantly looking at other things. I'm completely distracted by the world. I'm completely distracted by money and this and that. And I'm chasing everything else but you. And I want that to stop today. I want to come to the place that I'm surrendered my heart and my life to you today, God, completely. And I want to come into this place of pure worship and true worship. Some of you today might have been in this building and say that there's been mixture in your life. There's been mixture. There's been a little bit of Christianity. There's been worldliness. There's been some other things. There's just been a mixture. There's been a compromise. There's just been a compromise in your life. It, it's like you really wanted the best of both worlds, and you really haven't really stepped into the things of God. You really are holding on to the past. God wants that to go today. He wants you to let go, amen, and take hold of Him. And look ahead and see what God has for you and say, God, it's all about worship, and it's all about living for you. And living in this relationship that I have with you. If that's you today, amen, I want us to bow our heads. Amen. If that's you today and you say, Brother Matt, I want you to pray for me. I want you, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I, I feel I've been living a compromised life. I feel I've been living partial truth. I've been believing other things besides God. I've been living just a, a life that I know that's not pleasing to God. But today, I can be pleasing to God. Today, I can live a life and a heart that can be pleasing to God. If you'll just say, that's me, Brother Matt. That's me for the first time. If you've ever prayed this prayer, can you slip your hand up and say, can you pray for me today? Amen, I'm just struggling today. Anybody, can you lift your hand? Lift your hand today. Amen, God's meeting you right where you are. God's meeting you right where you are. Thank you. God's meeting you right where you are. Amen, today. Thank you, Lord. Come on, for the rest of us, let's pray and say, God, we want our, our city to hear the joyful sound of worship. We want people, Lord, to know God through our worship. We want to declare your goodness more than ever through our worship. Lord, I want to sing a new song to you today, Lord. A song of deliverance, a song of redemption. Amen. Lord, teach me to worship like I've never worshipped before. Help me to be like Mary, amen, who came down close to you and washed your feet with her tears and her hair. God, I want to be that close to you in my worship. Amen. Come on, if that's you, just slip your hand up and say, I want to be that close to God today. Let the Lord do a work in your heart. Amen. We're getting ready to eat some fantastic food and, and take a, a, on each other in some tournaments. But amen, God's going to do something for a few moments. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to God a new song. Let's begin to sing to God. Amen. In this hour and this day, the praises of our God. Amen. Before a world that needs to know how good He is, how rich in mercy He is, how much He loves us. Amen.
Can you say amen? Can we give God a cheer this morning? Just put our hands together. Come on, let's worship the Lord and say, God, I love you. You're amazing. You're fantastic. There's nobody like you, Lord. Amen.